Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Oh my gosh, I have such an amazing episode for you today. I asked my really good friend John Murray to come on Ratchet and Respectable and chat up this week's, well, Ratchet and Respectable topics with me. If you are not familiar with John Murray, and I'm sure that you are, he is a Washington, D.C.-based American TV commentator, pop culture expert, media personality, and social media influencer. If you're not familiar with him via his very popular website, Always A-List, then you probably know him from his multiple appearances on cable news channels like CNN, HLN, and MSNBC. When I was in D.C., very often I would walk into the green room for one of those networks to give my own commentary. And who would be sitting there but John Murray? He's also one of my mother's favorite people. He and my mother have some special bond. They met in the green room in NBC, D.C., and just immediate head over heels. She loves him. He loves her. Two peas, one pod. Anyway, John and I met on a press junket for Essence Music Festival one year. I don't remember what year it was, probably 2015 or 2016. You know how sometimes when you're on group trips, when you travel, you find a seat on the bus that you like, and that's like your seat? John and I chose seats next to each other for the whole trip and very quickly just bonded. I knew who he was before then, but I don't think we'd ever met, or if we met, we never had a real conversation. But the first time we did... Like my mom, love at first sight. I love me some John Murray. So I'm super excited to have him here today. Do you mind if we just jump right in to the conversation? Perfect. Thank you so much, friend, for agreeing to come on Ratchet and Respectable. Anytime you call, I will put everything on hold because I love you just that much. Oh, I love you back just that much. I talked about you like two episodes ago. I was talking about you and Candace Bimbo and how you called me. About Robin's book, you were like, I think you're taking the wrong stance here. I think there's some things you need to consider. Definitely, definitely. You know, it's funny because, and I kind of talked about this a little bit on social media, but I haven't talked about it in detail. But years ago, there was a Japanese neo-soul artist back when the R&B scene had the whole neo-soul subsection. He was on Epic Records. His name was Toshi Kabuda. I was in New York. I was uh, doing interviews for the movie Alfie. Sony was having a showcase for Toshi. And I went to that showcase with a colleague of mine. But he's significantly older than I am, so he knew all the uh, the generation of people in the music industry before me. So we were at this showcase. He sees Robin Crawford. I didn't rec- I knew who she was, but I didn't recognize her visually. He goes over, introduces himself to her, introduces me to her, and uh, says to her immediately, "You know, Whitney just ain't been the same since you've been out of her life. Since y'all ain't been together as a couple, it just ain't been the same." I was sitting there waiting to see how she was going to, you know, push back or deflect. But she really kind of acknowledged that what he was saying was true. You know, they went on to talk a little bit more. But I, I realized in that moment that everything about her was really positive. Uh, she really cared for Whitney. And I have consistently said to people in private conversations for years that I believed that Whitney Houston's inability to be her total self, uh, the restrictions that she faced both as a performance artist that 
couldn't be sexually fluid and with her mother's deep religious beliefs. I don't know if you've seen that interview where Oprah Winfrey asked Sissy Houston, would you have had a problem if Whitney Houston was a lesbian? And she says, yes. So I think that in itself tells you all you need to know about that household. Whatever story she was going to tell was going to be done delicately and with love. Everybody's been telling her stories for her story for decades. And finally, she said, no, I'm going to tell it myself. So I, I, I respected her for how she handled it. And I think she did it with class and dignity. Still haven't had a chance to, to read the book. I downloaded it on Audible. So it's sitting in my queue with many other books. Last night, I, I was watching the Whitney Houston documentary that's on Hulu. And I think it's the same one that's on Showtime. I like to put it on for this very specific scene of Whitney singing when she's like 17, 18. She's not even signed yet. It's the full Whitney range and that crystal clear, pitch perfect Absolutely. voice. She really was the greatest voice of all time. She so was. After our conversation, you pointed out, everyone's always talking about Robin. And for all these years, we've never heard from Robin. And so in the documentary last night, like I was paying attention, they got pictures of Robin. They got video of Robin. There's a whole segment of the documentary about the state of Robin and what Robin meant and what Robin did and Robin's titles. And Robin still didn't say anything. And the, and the conclusion of that particular documentary was that Whitney's career faltered and her life changed the day that Robin left. They have on video the day that Robin was like, I'm done, it's over. And she was telling everybody goodbye and everybody was all emotional. That I mean, that documentary really, I think because the documentary is called Whitney Houston, Can I Be Me? Yeah, so that's the other one. That's not the one I was watching last night, but I did see that one too that I think, is that the one that the bodyguard did? I don't know. See, and here's the thing. There's so many of There's these There's so many of them, yeah. yeah. And Robin's in every one because honestly, like I remember the Robin stories from the front of the tabloids when I was a kid. But I know specifically Robin Ann Crawford, even before this whole media tour, because her name comes up so much in association with Whitney Houston and all the people who were around her talking about Robin all the damn time. There was only one other thing that I wanted Whitney and, and Robin to complete in life, which was they had a, a joint production company. And they had a record deal at Capitol Records, and they had signed and developed a five-girl group called Sunday. They were the most dynamic music group. I mean, just some real good singing girls. The music on that album was really good. And there was this Whitney Houston performance. It was one of the televised award shows. And it was right around the time where her voice was slightly starting to change a little bit. And she was singing one of her big songs. And at the end, she arbitrarily passed her microphone to this girl in the audience who kind of completed the song for her. And that girl was the lead singer from Sunday. This group had so much potential and could have probably been a rival to Destiny's Child if they would have actually come to fruition. So many woulda, coulda, shouldas. It didn't happen. That's entertainment industry 101. Especially being in L.A., I noticed this. It's not necessarily talent that gets people to where they need to be in Whitney's case, like obviously, but everybody's not Whitney. Let's be candid for the people. Like if, if you and I were given the platforms that some of our counterparts would, we'd have even greater success. Like I know that I'm striving to be the black Tom Bergeron. I know that you have a track that's, that's your benchmark as a creator with scripts and other projects and as a personality and as a talent. Um, people don't know the network deals that we've had for shows that couldn't be sold or the mm. projects that we were attached to that never saw the light of day because they decided to go in a different direction. direction. I had a, a very great deal at NBC for a talk show scenario that I lost out to to a, a former boy bander who 
couldn't talk on the talk show, but they thought he was bringing a very niche audience to the to the show. There are Whitney Houston's in churches all across this country. There are uh, Aretha Franklin's in churches all across this country, but they never get the opportunity or the platform or the acceptance of the industry to be able to shine in the capacity in which they should. And so while I am optimistic that you and I will be able to check a whole lot of things off of our bucket lists, list both personally and professionally, and that we shall live the life that we set out to live both personally and professionally, again, anybody could have a chance at trying to be the best in all that they want to be if they're just given a chance and a shot and a, and a platform. A lot of people just don't get the chance. I mean, and it's not because they didn't work their ass off. It's not because they're not talented. It's not because they didn't do the work. They just didn't get the break that they needed. This yep. sucks. But do you ever wonder, like, I think I was more optimistic about the potential to live out my dream and fulfill my professional goals. Maybe when I was in my mid thirties or even my late thirties, but something about turning 40 has really sort of kind of made me reevaluate. Do I need to go get a quote and unquote real job and stop with all this? writing ambition? Do I need to, I don't know, go to law school and be a lobbyist or whatever it is people decide to do when the thing that they really want to do isn't working out? Or we have both have roots in DC, go get a good government job. Every now and then, I think as, a, as, as creatives and entrepreneurs and as uh, uh, freelance employees and personalities and talent, it can get frustrated. You and I had a private conversation recently where I was kind of kind of saying the same, challenging you in the same way that I challenged myself. I'm really good about not comparing myself to other people, which helps with dealing with rejection and delays and and postponements of opportunities and things like that. Um, so I use myself as my only benchmark. But when you've set your timelines for yourself for the 20s and the 30s and things that you thought you would have accomplished at this point in life and, and they are delayed, you can get frustrated. One of the things I think that benefit us as people of color is one we don't age like some of our counterparts do, mm. which help our ability to be able to get younger and fresher opportunities, even well into the midlife period. Now, I know neither you nor myself want to be uh, 50 or 60 years old getting our big break, but there are lots of examples of people who have. I mean, um, I look at my good friend, April Ryan, White House reporter. She was really content just being a good journalist. I go to the White House for 20 years. I do my work for 20 years. I'm on the radio for 20 years. I uh, pay a mortgage. I raise two children as a single parent, and I get to go to the White House Correspondents' Dinner, and I have a hell of a Rolodex. That's a good life for me. Then all of a sudden, at like 50 years old, uh, Sean Spicer starts targeting her, President, uh, oh, uh, what's that man's name? Uh, Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. He, um, yeah, the orange one, the 45 man. He tells her to set up the meeting with the um, Congressional Black Caucus. And all of a sudden, she's on CNN every day being targeted by this administration. And it makes her an instant rock star. So now I go out with her. Sometimes the reception that she gets is bigger than I'm out when some of the Hollywood stars. And she's having to adjust. And at, at, at now at 51 years old, she's having the biggest moment of her life when she thought the things that she wanted and had dreamed about and sought to attain had escaped her until God said, no, 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 it might not be comfortable for you. And this ain't the way that you mapped it out or planned it out, but I'm still going to do it. Here it is. And then you look at someone like a Bevy Smith. Bevy's like 51, 52. Um, and page six TV, which she got like when she was 50, was her first full time TV job. Again, 
I don't want God to necessarily bless you and I the way he blessed April and Bevy. <laughs> I, I don't necessarily want to wait a decade until life lines up the way we would like it to. So I try to stay grateful in the space that we're in now. I try to stay present in every opportunity, big or small. And, and, and despite the fact that maybe once a year I get frustrated and decide I'm going to go be a manager at a Starbucks, because I just like Starbucks. It's a good time in Starbucks. The reality is that the fact that we are able to use our creative content, content, our personalities to make a living, uh, I just focus on the fact that that's a blessing, you know? It is. And I'm so glad that you brought I me, mean, April as well, but Bevy too, because she's been a mentor to me for like many, many years. But at the, I would say like my nadir, like when I first left New York and was living in DC and was, you know, going through the early process of my divorce and was just in a really bad place. I got this call from Bevy. She was like, hello, Lamb. She just told me like a bit about her story. And look, like I had this life that was all set up, was doing advertising buys. I was flying around the world and I was like, this is not working for me. This is not fulfilling. I went through a really low point and my life didn't really get good again until 38. There was another few years after that. Like I was, I was in my purpose, but I wasn't earning the, the coin that I was previously. I understand that life is a process. You just have to go through the process, trust the process. And, and, and that's what we have to do. We have to go through the process and live in purpose. And I, I believe that if we learn to appreciate the small milestones, the small victories, if we just learn to appreciate the fact that we don't have to go get a good government job and you literally can make a living being yourself, making a living off an opinion, making a living off your life stories and all the other aspects that we capitalize off of. If we can learn to appreciate that and value uh, every moment and milestone, then we can be trusted with the bigger dream. And the bigger opportunities and the bigger platform. And because when when those things line up for us, we'll be in such a good space that we can embrace it all, honor the platform, and 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 hopefully be in a position to bring some other people along the journey. Yes, 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 yes. That is very important. You lift as you climb. I love it. Yes, it. I love it. Can we pause real quick to get in a word from today's sponsor? Away Luggage creates thoughtful products designed to change how you see the world. They started with the perfect suitcase, crafted with features that make travel more seamless. Now they're offering a range of essentials that solve real travel problems. All you have to think about is where you're headed next. Because getting away means getting more out of every trip to come. The Away Carry-On features a lightweight and durable shell that's made to last for a lifetime of travel. There's also four 360-degree spinner wheels to guarantee a smooth ride. And a limited lifetime warranty means they'll fix or replace your bag if it ever gets damaged. I can't wait to put my away luggage to use when I travel home for Christmas next month. For $20 off an away suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash respectable. Use promo code respectable during checkout. That's awaytravel.com slash respectable and use promo code respectable during checkout. Can we talk about some pop culture shenanigans? Folks been, folks been acting a little wild lately. Listen, at the end of the year, sometimes, you know, uh, people decide to go ahead and get everything out of their system. Like, let me go ahead and give you some end of the year headlines. So, yeah, let's talk about them. T.I. on Red Table Talk to discuss, one, 
him doing hymen checks on his daughter and then two publicly speaking about it. This whole thing happened three to four weeks ago. T.I. goes on a podcast and tells all his daughter's business. There's a huge uproar about it. He never says anything afterward. So then he goes on Red Table Talk to sit with Jada and he decides to spill all the tea. Did you see it? I did watch it. I like T.I. Do you? I, I, I think he is... I, I have this affinity for hip-hop stars that can cross over into a commercial space. My litmus test used to be when rappers would go on The View. If they would go on The View and Joy Behar would fall in love with them, it would heighten my appreciation for them. It just shows that you're in a different space. You've transcended hip-hop, and you literally have become a pop culture fixture. So when T.I. started moving in that space, and when he got in a little trouble with the guns, and Joy Behar was like, I really want to come visit you when you go away to do your prison stint. I was like, this guy's <laughs> going to last for a while. You know, I think he's polished his presentation a lot. He's overcome a lot of the stereotypical urban rapper uh, things that people like to put on them. You know, he's worked through his troubles and really has done well for the most part in the mainstream. As he's ascended to the mainstream, you know, he loves to use big words, something that you often joke about when you're pushing back on him a little bit. And then there's moments like this where he was talking about being a responsible father, but I think the responsibility aspect was a little overzealous and a little chauvinist. And it's, it, it's a little, it's it, in moments like that, you're like, Hey, bruh, I just wish she was kind of making music and not necessarily appearing and doing a podcast because sometimes you say things that uh, maybe a little much. I think he means well and he was trying to show that he's a good dad, but he really came across like uh, an obsessive tiger parent. And even though he told Jada that he was, you know, joking and, and embellishing and and lying. all of that. We call that lying. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he fibbed a little, Demetria. Okay. No, you I, like him, so you're cleaning it up. And it's not it, I don't like him. I just, I'm annoyed no, yeah, with him. It's, I like him. I wish he wouldn't have said it. Um, and the reality is that if, it, let's say if he was telling the truth, the type of parent that he was describing himself to be, his daughter would be in the top one percentile of daughters that end up on the pole. Because typically the overzealous parent, and I notice having having grown up in church and, and all the little PKs end up being the wildest ones, typically the hymen checking parent is the one that you end up finding your daughter did a porn. I just think it was, it was, it was a bad decision. I don't think the, the red table talk appearance cleaned it up enough. And uh, I hope he can move on and stop talking about hymens in general. I'm frustrated with T.I. in this moment, but I actually do like him. You know, he did get into that gun trouble at one point. Rubber band man, trap house T.I. And then he transitioned himself into being family man. I'm like the new Cosbys. We have this blended situation, me and my wife, and we're figuring out these kids and loving and raising and doing, doing better. Like, I see him trying to do better than what he knew. And I respect the growth. I just, I really just want him to read some books sometimes. <laughs> like he has a large become- platform based, I feel like he has a large platform based on hip hop. He got that platform and transitioned it into something else. And he talks about things without knowing the history, the depth, without any real understanding. He just uses these big words that most of the time kind of make sense, but there's just too many of them all together. So you're like trying to translate it into what it actually means in your head. It's, it gets weird. I just want him to actually like be educated and be informed and be 
intelligent as opposed to sounding like his version of intelligent. There's something there. Like he's not a stupid man. Yeah, listen, if if he and I were friends and um you know, you know this, most people don't, but like before Iyana was fixing lives, I was fixing a lot of celebrity lives. I've counseled people into not quitting uh, sitcoms and through divorces and marriages and just Dr. Phil to the stars. Um, I would probably have talked to T.I. out of doing a podcast. I know that every time you meet with somebody in business, every time, you know, you get an offer from a company and an agent or a manager is like, oh, you can get paid X amount of dollars for doing a podcast. Everybody sees everything as, as a business expansion or an extension of things or but it's tough being in the opinion business. And when your life is consumer driven, when you are in the business of selling products and having people consume them, and that is the source of your success, I really think being in the opinion business can be detrimental to a talent like that because people get to see a side of you that they may not like. And that's why you have uh, talent and personalities like a Dolly Parton who's never discussed her politics, who will only deal with issues that are on brand and in line with her line of success because she doesn't want to do or say anything that turns off of a, a potential consumer from buying a CD, from coming to Dollywood, from uh, coming and get a product at Cracker Barrel, whatever she's attached to or is uh, pushing to the people, she doesn't want to lose those consumers. And I know that everybody wants to have a podcast. Everybody, because of social media, is in the business of opinion. But there's a danger being in this business. And when you share too much, you open up too much, or people learn too much about you, it could be the biggest detriment to your ability to sell to people. Can we talk about the melee yesterday over Omarion's extraordinary petty with this Millennium Tour that B2K ain't on this year? <laughs> that he so, announced you know, on Fizz's birthday. So it's funny. I, you know, I've been having to uh, do my research and read lots of articles to keep up with this story because little known black history fact, I've never seen an episode of Love and Hip Hop. I knew that, you know, Omarion and Fizz and all these guys were doing like the Hollywood version of Love and Hip Hop. But it's just not a show that I can consume. You know, it um, it just violates a couple of my my bougie levels, you know, I just can't <laughs> beneath yeah, my bougie. It, you know, it just it, it it leans a little more ratchet than respectable for me, and, and and my level of ratchet is really low. But I have a connection to this group because back in two thousand and four, when they broke up, um, I interviewed all four of the guys like on the same day. It just I happened to be in L.A. I was doing interviews for the movie You Got Served, and so I interviewed Amarion uh, at the W Hotel and. Um, and uh, Westwood that day, we had a really good conversation. You know, he told me his views on why the guys broke up and the whole whatever. His, you know, his solo career was going to be launching around that time. And then, um, and then after that day, I would run into him a lot in L.A. Like one time, I ran into him randomly in Urban Outfitters on Melrose, and I was shopping, minding my own business. Somebody came and tapped me on the shoulder. I turned around. He was like, "What's up, man? It's, I'm Omarion." And I was like, "Nigga, I know who the hell you are." <laughs> uh, and I love so, that. Uh, and I apologize in advance for everybody who has a problem with me using the N-word. It's not something that I use regularly, but it is something that I said in that moment. But that's very indicative, as you know, Demetria, of you know, a lot of celebrities won't go out of their way to speak to you. He saw me in the store and he came out of his way to speak and didn't take it for granted that he's a superstar, a household name, and introduced himself to me as though I wouldn't remember him. That's the, the Omarion that I know. Good, great guy. You know what I'm saying? But I say all that to say that. I like smart shade. Like, if you're going to be shady or petty 
or just defend yourself. I love when you do it on a for the high end approach. And I feel like that's what Omarion did. Like, I'm gonna go back on tour. Y'all could benefit from this tour, but you won't benefit this time around. I'm gonna go out and take Bow Wow, who I did a whole album with and a whole tour with before, pull together a whole nother group, and uh you can sit back and watch. It you was know, very I, they go low, we go high. It was very <laughs> Michelle Obama-esque. His actions, the interview that he did, I think it was with Vlad, where he first talked about the whole April and Fizz thing. The guy who was in that interview, the positive, I'm going to stay optimistic despite the circumstances around me type of guy, that's who I always remember him to be. I think he's handled a bad situation as a good guy now. If somebody called me with some comp tickets, I might drop it to that tour. I did an interview about it on IGTV, and I woke up this morning to like 500 comments and a good half of them were people who were like, I had no intentions of going to see the Millennium Tour. I'm not really a huge B2K fan, but I feel like on GP, I need to buy a ticket. I need to sponsor someone. I need to buy an Omarion album. I need to stream his services. I need something to support him and let him know, like, bruh, I'm, I want to be associated with your greatness and your pettiness. There's a part of the story that nobody is talking about. And I remember this from hearing, I want to say it may have been a Breakfast Club interview, but Omarion was so into his relationship with April that I remember him doing an interview where he talked about he went and got circumcised as a grown man. What? To, to appease her. What? And, and he details it in the interview. He talked, you know, he talked about how, you know, he he had been blessed with a well-endowed manhood and that he had been told that if he got the manhood circumcised, it would make the sexual experience more comfortable for her. And as a grown man within like the easily within like the last five years or so, he went in and got later in life circumcision to appease that relationship. So when a man go in and get his foreskin cut off for you and then you go smash his best friend, like Yo. That, that's some deep stuff right there. Even without that knowledge, I was like, yo, like if, if I'm not saying it would be right to punch Fizz in the face, but if he were to have done so, I really couldn't be like he was wrong. I wouldn't applaud it. I'd just turn away because I would get it. But adding that to the equation, that's... I don't condone violence. It's usually not my thing. But on this one, he needs to sucker punch him. I, I, he really does. Well, if I'm not mistaken... I know at least one time, I think he was, Omarion has been connected to the whole Jehovah's Witness face. So violence is probably not an option for him. Okay. There's, there's a center of God there. Okay. This, yes. this makes sense. This makes much sense to me. Okay. So what else is in the shenanigan lineup today? Gabrielle Union. Our friend Gabrielle. Is Gabrielle our friend? I like Gabrielle. Okay, I, Gab- good. I was surprised to hear that she was joining America's Got Talent. I have a personal... Thing about all these competition shows casting celebrity hosts. You know, I think the thing that everybody is trying to duplicate was the magic that American Idol made. Yes. And I think what made American Idol work was that you had this British guy who was snarky and irrelevant, uh, irreverent and said the things that most people was thinking, but no American knew who he was. You had this music executive that wasn't famous who in the traditional schemes of Hollywood, had a look that was more suited for radio and not television in Randy Jackson. You had a, a past her prime pop diva who 
you know, was best known for lip syncing and not necessarily being a singer, but had choreographed great shows and worked with everybody from Janet to Michael on out. And then you had this guy from the radio who they took from L.A. and gave a hosting shot. And all four of those unknowns uh, created this magic that made them household names. So when I look at all these other shows and they're like, oh, let's just add this supermodel. Let's just add this former boy bander. Or let's just add said Emmy-winning actress to the show. It, it just never really works for me. So I just didn't understand the addition of Julianne Huff and Gabrielle to the show, despite the fact that I respect what they do in their respective crafts away from reality TV. But the ratings were great while they were there. People who watched the show said they loved what they presented as the host of the show. And uh, all the factors pointed towards success. Uh, so it's unfortunate to see that they were both let go for whatever reason. You know, Gabrielle was fired, as confirmed by Dwayne uh, in, in his uh, Twitter post today, uh, that she was fired because she spoke out about some injustices going on behind the scenes. Did you see the article that came out in Variety? Allegedly, the the issue that Gabrielle Union had was an off-color joke about Koreans and dogs, something about that, that Jay Leno made. Oh. That's what's being reported in Variety. As well as one of the issues that staffers had with Gabrielle Union is that she kept changing her hair. It was too too black, quote and unquote. And then also that she changed her hair more than half a dozen times during the taping of the show and they were having continuity issues because her hair was so drastically different from one taping to the next. Paging Judge Maybelline Ephraim. I don't know if you remember, but that was the one of the things that caused the demise of her deal at Fox when she was hosting Divorce Court. They wanted to cut like the glam budget in addition to there were other contractual things. But one of the real bones of contention was they wanted to like cut her glam budget and they asked her if she could get one wig that she could self-apply and wear for the entire season. And she was like, even if I get a wig, you still have to hire a glam team to come and properly uh, style it and position it and all of the things that happen with black women in their wigs. So there's, there's a challenge with women of color uh, and their hair in some of these you know, work scenarios that really needs to be addressed in Hollywood. The idea of putting a woman on camera without a proper and professional glam squad, like to recommend to someone that they self-apply or do their own hair for a nationally televised show is nuts to me. There's just things about grooming black talent in general. Now, if I'm a man and I'm having challenges, mm -hmm. I can imagine women, particularly those who do change their hair, and y'all go from, uh, y'all like, all of y'all like regime from on Living Single. You go from braids to wigs to weaves to naturals and colors, and, and, and but you should be able to do it. You know, the days of you all having to just be like Jennifer Anderson on Friends with one haircut for the entire duration of your employment on the show, that stuff is tired and it's over. I feel like you put Gabrielle Union on a show, you're hoping that black girls, especially black people, will tune in to watch Gabrielle Union, to hear her opinions, her thoughts. Mm -hmm. Seeing her hair, seeing the hair changes, is part of the draw of tuning in to see Gabrielle Union. What is she wearing this week? What, is, what lip color does she have? What does the hair look like? All goes along with what is she talking about? What is she saying? It's not a liability, it's a bonus. Early seasons of The Voice, because I stopped watching that show after a while, I was tuning in because 
you know, CeeLo Green was my rock star alter ego. Like if I was going to be a rock star, it would have been CeeLo Green. And so when he would show up in those Liberace, Elton John, bedazzled sweatsuit, red leather scenarios and just looking outrageous sitting in those seats. In addition to seeing who was going to sing well and whose chairs were going to turn around, I also wanted to see what type of outrageous rock and roll gear CeeLo was going to be on the show. I can imagine as a as a as a black woman, if there's a woman known for her great hairstyles and stuff, that's one of the draw for us. Like we've always been attracted to how uh, a beautiful black people look on camera and 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 what they're doing and and their ever changing look can be part of the appeal. But when you don't have producers and executives and network people that understand that, then they expect you to do like they told Judge Maybelline Ephraim, get you one good hairstyle and uh, wear that sucker the whole season. Yeah, I feel like that's a, we don't really get black people. Like we want black eyeballs to the show, but we don't really get black people. Listen, you bring on a, a bona fide black girl, then you, you got to get all the black girl magic that comes along with her. Exactly. Let's get in a quick word from one of my sponsors. Did you know that socks are the most requested clothing item in homeless shelters? Well, Bombas is on a mission to change that. They've created the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. And for every pair of socks purchased, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. Designed with special comfort innovations, colors, patterns, lengths, and styles, Bombas are perfect for the whole family. They're made from super soft, natural cotton, and every pair is designed with arch support, a seamless toe, and a cushioned footbed that's supportive, but not too thick. My new favorites are the new Merino wool socks, designed to be breathable, dry, and never itchy with just the right amount of thickness. I have concrete floors in my loft. My Bomba socks provide great padding for my heels and the balls of my feet. Keep my feet cute, not crusty. Get your hands on a pair of Bomba socks and your feet will thank you. Save 20% on your first purchase when you shop at bombas.com slash ratchet. That's bombas.com slash ratchet to save 20%. Bombas, B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash ratchet. Can we talk about Kim Kardashian West? Oh, first lady. She is currently on the cover of New York Magazine. Of the many things that she talks about in her profile, she says she's going to stop taking sexy selfies. She doesn't say she's going to stop wearing sexy clothes, but she's going to stop posting sexy pictures on the Internet. She attributes this to her work at the White House and also the influence of her children. She feels like as a mom of four that maybe she needs to tone it down some. She made no mention of her husband, who was seen in a scene on uh, her, her reality show criticizing her dress for the Met Gala as being too sexy, and he didn't want her to dress that way. They had a bit of a tift on camera about her clothing choices. Listen, I mean, at this point, there's not anything more that Kim Kardashian could reveal or that could be any sexier than she's done. Her sex tape with Ray J, and it's a sex tape. It was not uh, um, anything that was leaked and all the all the other fake stories and narratives that they've attempted to, to, to perpetuate throughout the years. The video that she shot with Ray J and uh, released with Vivid Entertainment for commercial success in this business is about as revealing 
and sexy as you can get. So, I mean, there's nothing else for her to do. She's done it all. I mean, from that sex tape to the uh, paper magazine cover where she was squirting the liquid from her butt over her head into like a cup or something. I mean, you've shown it all. So if you're going to finally put on some clothes because you have found a true purpose and criminal justice reform and the work that you've been doing with Van Jones in the White House, then bravo. I actually don't mind Kim dressing sexy, even as a mom, even as a lawyer or an aspiring lawyer, even as a first lady, even at 39. I think it's something she likes doing. I think she's something she's always enjoyed. And I think that just because she's a mom doesn't mean she needs to tone it down or she needs to cover everything up. Just because she's a lawyer doesn't either. No matter what Kim does, she's always going to be known either for the sex tape or for being the sex symbol or this very sexy woman. I think she should ride it to the wheels or fall off if that's what she wants to do. My only concern is I hope she's not doing it to accommodate Kanye and his new religiosity or cult leadership, whichever one he's leaning toward today. I hope it's not to accommodate that. I think before making a decision based on her household, Kim Kardashian will always make decisions that benefit her bank account. She seems to be um, really serious about this criminal justice work. And here's the thing. I've been um, highly critical uh, of some aspects of the Kardashian family um, throughout the years, mostly from a a joking, witting place. Like I'm not that vested in whatever those people do. But the one thing I don't like is I just, I don't like the intentional manipulation of of the audience or the people. I was on HLN recently and uh, they did the story about her talking about her criminal justice reform. They showed a clip of her on The View and Sonny Hostin kind of apologized to her and told her I didn't take you seriously and I really criticized the method in which you're working to become a lawyer until I researched it and saw the amount of people who worked through that capacity, et cetera, et cetera. And I think they thought I was gonna clown Kim and have fun with her because I've done that throughout the years. But I actually really respect what she's doing in criminal justice reform. I think she does have the DNA of her daddy and she really does want to make a positive impact. But I just don't, I don't like people telling me that I can't acknowledge her beginnings. That sex tape happened like a good over 10 years ago. Every time Kim's name comes up, we have to give like the long history of her sex tape and Ray J and her mother and the exploitation. I feel like women never get a chance to redeem themselves. But here's the thing. Why do you have to redeem yourself? I didn't say that the sex tape was a bad thing. I said it was an orchestrated thing. But we're talking about Kim dressing sexy. I feel like talking about her dressing sexy and then getting into the minutiae of how this like sex tape came to be, there's, it's like a disjointed connection. It's not, because what I said was after you do an orchestrated sex tape and people have not only seen all of you naked, but they've seen people up in you naked, what else is there left for you to show? <laughs> when people have seen your whole hoo-ha and seen Ray J in your hoo-ha, you not taking photos in a, a, in a sexy dress, that's not a big thing. Because we've seen it all already. We, in the words of Sunshine Anderson... We've heard it all before. We've seen it all before. Oh, dear. Here's the thing. If Kim really wants to be serious in the whole criminal justice reform thing, maybe she should not necessarily squeeze water from a water bottle over her head and into a cup. Like, if you, if you really want folks to take you seriously, you have to kind of change up some things. If we were running for political office, we would start wearing blue suits and ties that didn't go past our belt buckle. 
There's just certain things you do when you want certain jobs. There's a uniform for certain places of employment. And if she really wants to thrive and be a lawyer and all this other stuff, like she can't show up in one of those, uh, what y'all call them dresses that fit like bandages? Um, Bandage dresses? Yeah, well, that's what they're called. <laughs> there you go. You can't show up in court and stuff like that and want a judge to take you seriously. Like th there is a look and a protocol that comes with certain professions. And I think she's making a smart choice to move in that direction. Amber Rose earlier today was on her Instagram and she she just had a baby, her second baby, six weeks ago. And she's going under the knife to have her jowls. She said they're hereditary. She's a little like she feels she looks fine to me, but she feels like she's some extra skin, some extra puff. Um, right around her jawline. So she's getting that taken out. And then she's getting a full body makeover from, from whatever surgeon she's hired or who or the surgeon that is letting her or doing it for free in exchange for publicity. I'm not really sure there, but okay. But she's getting a full body makeover six weeks after having a baby. First and foremost, I agree with the latter with you. Um, when someone is this vocal about having that level of cosmetic surgery, there probably is a publicity for uh, service scenario going on there. Uh, second of all, I'm always concerned when people like her uh, and others who have uh, done these full body makeovers showcase it to impressionable young girls that follow them. I don't criticize Amber Rose for doing her slut walk and all the other things that she does where she feels like she's taking back all the negative connotations of people who are hypersexual or have been criticized for being hypersexual or, or all that other stuff. And I'm taking back the ownership. Like, do you? But when it comes to things like cosmetic surgery, it really sets a really bad precedent for a lot of these uh, younger, impressionable people who follow these type of folks because they then... You know, we all at some point have an insecurity about a body feature or body part and stuff like that. And there are a lot of people who feel as though the only way they can have a level of success or make it in life or get a man or, or a date or just anything is go in and start having these cosmetic surgery. There are these statistics out there that talk about how, like, you know, young girls are asking for boob jobs and nose jobs and, and like, What's the stuff you you put in your face in the needle? Botox. Oh, Botox. Botox stuff yeah. like their 16th birthday and things like that. And all of that is because of the impressions that seeing someone having a full body transformation have. Now, having known a few women who've gone through this, the one thing I can tell you is, okay, you might go through this full body transformation and you're going to feel good about yourself for a period of time. But if you can't maintain the body, if you don't go to the gym, if you don't eat well, if you still don't do all the other stuff that it takes to maintain the body you had before you went under the knife, guess what happens? Your body typically takes worse form. When I saw the video, like, well, the first thing I thought was like, well, okay, at least she's being transparent about it. Because I feel like a lot of celebrity women who either have surgery or especially after they have children and they pop up like six weeks later with these like amazing bodies, full abs, high perky boobs, and then non-celebrity women see this and they feel like, oh, I must be doing something wrong because my body should look like X after I've had this baby. Why am I not looking the way that I should? Why am I not looking like my pre-baby body? Because people are not being transparent about the work that they've had done. The other thing that I thought was good for Amber, her body, her choice. And then the third thing I thought was, here is this woman who is a sex symbol, who is absolutely beautiful, who comes across as self-aware, self-confident, owns her shit. And she too is affected by the pressures of very narrow ideals about beauty. She has a six-week-old baby. She should be at home 
relaxing. Like your body just went through like this major, major thing. Like you gave birth, you created a life. And here she is like, you know, laid up in a hospital bed going under anesthesia to get cut open. She's not even be able to like pick up her kid for a couple of weeks. But this is her focus because there's a pressure on women to look a certain way, to maintain a certain level of beauty, even after you've just given birth a month and a half ago. You know, there've been a certain segment of women in this business who their whole career has been based on their looks. They are the vixens. They were the video girls. They were the Hollywood starlets for fear of calling out uh, a black female name. They were the Carmen Electras of the business. You know what I'm saying? The Pamela Andersons of the business where their overall talent or the legitimate talent may be questionable, but people gave them a level of access. They were hired because of their looks. And so when you are in that line of work and you start to you know, age a little and you start to be concerned that there are these other ones coming behind you. Like, this isn't a dig. I don't know what Amber Rose necessarily does outside of just being a beautiful personality. But then you see somebody who is as sexy as her in like a Megan the Stallion, who's a beautiful girl with a big booty that all the guys like. And she also happens to be a rapper. And so how does the Amber Roses then compete with the rapper who is selling the same sexiness, but she also is doing, you know, shows and rapping and maybe up for Grammys and all that other type of stuff. I'm sure it's got to take a toll on you. There's nothing worse than seeing somebody who built a be- uh, a whole career off of their looks and being sexy and the vixen and the starlet and all of that start to get like 55 and 60 years old and they still trying to hang on to what they used to have and what used to be. It's a scary situation. Like black girls, like you said somewhere else in this podcast, like we can ride it out, black people in general, we can ride out the looks thing a little longer than some others just based on good old melanin, but it all catches up with you. Like can't help it. Aging is aging. It catches up with you at some point. One more thing I'm going to say about that too is I I really pray that women aren't doing this because they think it's going to help them in relationships or help them land a man and all this type of stuff. I won't call out any names, but well, I'll call out one. because we were already talking about Kim Kardashian, but you look at somebody like Khloe Kardashian, who used to be a lot of people's favorite Kardashian because she looked the most normal. It didn't appear that she had gone under the knife. But all of a sudden, she went through this whole body transformation, face transformation. Like She just started to take on more elements of her sister. Yet and still, it didn't stop Tristan Thompson from doing what he did. There are a few other examples of of girls out here who have completely changed their looks from head to toe and transformed into somebody else, but under no circumstance did it offer an incentive for their men to not cheat or step out or do other things. So if you're doing it, do it because you want it because it's making you feel better about you for you. But if you're doing it because you're thinking it's going to generate you a result with a man or some other circumstance, you're probably going to be disappointed in the end. I also like to remind people, because I'm still in the middle of my 600-pound life binges, (laughs) every single woman on that show got a loyal spouse who does everything for her, including wipe her every morning, powder her down, bathe her. I told you I watched the episode where like, the man wheeled a toilet into the bedroom, and she maneuvered (laughs) herself on top of the toilet. And then when she was done, she went and flopped down on the bed, and he went and got some wipes and wiped her ass. And I was like, look. When a man wants to be with you, when a man loves you, nothing you request is too much. So everybody running around like, oh, I got to do this. I got to do that. Like, you don't have to change anything. You need to find somebody who likes you for you. Find the lid for your top. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is it, my friend. You are an excellent. It's great to, to, 
you know, be able to, to work off some verbal pounds after this great Thanksgiving meal, talking to you and catching up on this stuff. And we should do it again soon. Like, let's not let's not make this like an annual thing, but let's check in from time to time. I love you. I support you. I'm really glad that people are gravitating to your platform and listening to this podcast. And I'm excited for all that 2020 has to offer for you because you've only scratched the surface on all the great things that are about to come. Thank you, friend. I feel the exact same about you. I'm like one of your biggest fans. I know mama is first. And then my mama is second. But I'm somewhere up real high in the top five. I love the queen. I love your mom. My mom is out of her mind. She's going to retire soon. Really? Yeah. She's talking about, she's like, oh, that means I can spend more time in L.A. And I was like, oh, can you? Is that your retirement plan to come hang out with me in L.A.? Cali girl. Come on. Welcome to her. Welcome to the sunshine, mom. I feel the same way about L.A. I'm happy every time I'm out there. You should move. I'd like for to book a network job and have them move me. Look, let's pray on it. I love you, my friend. I love you back, my friend. Isn't he dreamy? He's one of my favorite people. When I love folks, I love them. Like, you can do no wrong. I mean, you can do wrong, but I just ignore it because I love you so. So that is this week's podcast. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. I'm not sure about next week. In the meantime, if you miss me during the week, you can follow me on Instagram or Facebook at Demetria L. Lucas. Don't forget that L in the middle. Very important. So yeah, I think that's everything. Okay, talk soon. Bye.